and welcome to another episode of Mind the Health Gap. This month, the theme of the podcast is determinants of health. And this week, the topic, the subtopic is the social determinants of health. Um, our guest is Sir Michael Marmot, Professor of Epidemiology and Public Health at the University College London. He's the current director of the UCL Institute of Health Equity and has also chaired the World Health Organization's Commission on the Social Determinants of Health. Thank you for giving us your time and welcome to the podcast. My pleasure, thank you. Um, yes, as Mohammed mentioned, we do have some Michael Mohammed today and I'm just gonna briefly outline the episode for today. So the first part will just be uh, a focus on introducing uh, the social determinants of health to our audience, their importance and why they should be integral to all health discourses. And the second part will focus on the lack of attention the social of the social determinants of health have been given on the health agenda, factoring in who is affected by social determinants health, how it affects them, and what is actually being done about it. We will also consider the realities of the social determinants of health in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, yeah, uh, so Michael, are you ready to proceed? Yep, I am. Ah, fabulous, okay. So, so Mama, you wrote The Health Gap, which was part of our reading lists as undergraduates, as well as uh, postgraduates. Um, in 2008, you were asked by the Secretary of Health uh, Secretary of State for Health to chair an independent review to propose the most effective evidence-based strategies for re reducing health inequalities in England, um, the Marmot Review, which was published in 2010. Uh, it's fundamentally shifted um, the discourse in health inequalities in the world and internationally, and as well as that, he has shaped public health services in England and around the world. Um, for those of for those who've never like come across the term or aren't global health students or academics, um, in the simplest terms, Samama, what are the social determinants of health and how did you realize their importance? Let's start in an odd way with what they're not. When people think about health, they usually think about health care. Uh, when international organizations talk about funding for health, they don't mean that they mean funding for health care. Health care is vitally important. When we get sick, as all of us inevitably will do at some time or another, we need access to high quality health care, absolutely essential. And at a time of the COVID-19 pandemic, we witnessed the healthcare system, both at the one time saving people's lives and at the other, being totally overwhelmed by the burden. That's healthcare, very important. Social determinants of health can be summed up in the opening line of my book, The Health Gap. Why treat people and send them back to the conditions that made them sick? Social determinants of health deal with the conditions that make people sick in the first place. When I chaired the World Health Organization Commission on Social Determinants of Health. We said that social determinants of health are the conditions in which people are born, grow, live and work and age. And inequities in power, money and resources 
that give rise to inequities in the conditions of daily life. So that's what we mean by social determinants of health. And when we look, for example, at what I describe as the social gradient in health, and by that I mean if you classify people by years of education, the more education an individual has, the longer their life expectancy, the better their health. The fewer years of education, the shorter the life expectancy, the worse their health, or classify them by the level of deprivation of the area in which they live. You find the same social gradient. The greater the deprivation of the area, the shorter the life expectancy and the worse the health. So social determinants of health is intimately bound up with inequities in health itself, which are not simply due to inequities in access to the health care system. All right, thank you very much. Uh, that, that is the best answer you can ever get. And I hope global health students are listening to this and, and taking notes um, when it does come out. Um, that's a really great point you make, uh, Samama. And I just want to reference an article that was recently published. Um, and the title was, if social determinants of health are so important, shouldn't we ask patients about them? You know, and I, I love the point you made um, in your book, like, why do we treat people and then send them to the same conditions that made them sick? Because, um, and I guess this brings me to my next question, what are why are the social determinants of health not being considered at an individual level of health um, um, and not solely a population level of health? I think there's several reasons why social determinants of health are not receiving the attention they should get. The first is ignorance on the part of healthcare people, doctors, nurses, who don't really quite understand it. You know, what is this? Uh, and on the part of policymakers, as I said, when international organizations talk about funding for health, they really mean funding for health care. They don't think about how much education a person has as being a health issue. Um, so one is ignorance. A second is when you ask about the individual level, many doctors will say, my role is to treat sick people, not to improve society. Um, when the patient comes in, I treat them with the illness that they have, and then they go out again. It's not my role to improve society. And my response to that is, if somebody comes in off the street, who's a rough sleeper, would you treat the ulcers in their leg and their pneumonia and send them out to go to sleep on the street again? Is that good treatment of the patient? So seeing the patient in broader perspective um, is vitally important. It's part of the good practice of medicine. And third, it's not just about treating individuals, social determinants of health, it's improving things for society. In Britain at the moment, you can't move without hearing about free school meals. Uh, it's on the front page of the newspaper, 
And it's not simply about making sure an individual young person is well nourished. It's about getting the policy right, which is a health issue. I mean, why do we care about free school meals? Because if you don't have good nutrition, you get sick. And now you might say, is nutrition one of the social determinants of health? Yeah, of course it is. I talk about the causes of the causes. Um, poor nutrition is a cause of illness. But what's the cause of poor nutrition? Poverty, lack of access to good food and the like, the food supply system. They're causes of the causes. And that's another way of describing social determinants of health. And it takes action at government level, not just the level of the individual patient. Thank you for that answer, Samama. I mean, I, I love how you touched on that this is an issue that has to be considered in, in the wider society in the grand scheme of things. Um, I guess as global health students, we've kind of noticed the importance of social determinants the social determinants of health start to become recognized within the global health space um, and wider medical and health discourses, although not to the level we would we would like, but increasingly starting to become more important. Um, I mean, you touched on it, but why do you think it is that it often doesn't late, doesn't translate uh, to funding and research on the social determinants of health or even being emphasized on health agendas when, when we're so certain of their, of their importance? I think that, I mean, firstly, uh, if you talk to people involved in health policy, it's easy to focus on the healthcare system. That they kind of understand that. Um, universal health coverage, it's easy to sign up to that. We know what that means. We, it may not be difficult to achieve it, but we know what it means. We know how to document when it's not happening. Um, but equity in the social determinants of health is a bit harder to grab hold of and know what it means. And healthcare people might well say, or health policy people might say, it's outside our, our domain. Governments might say, we've got other priorities. We want less public spending. We want tax cuts for rich people. Uh, we've got other priorities, and we've seen that. Um, governments putting effort into tax cuts for rich people, rolling back the state, uh, and being rather heedless of whether that might damage the health of poorer people or increase the social gradient in health. So because it's, let's take smoking, very important, but we know what that is. You can grab hold of it. You know what it is, and we know what we have to do to reduce smoking. But for example, in my English review, Fair Society, Healthy Lives, I had six domains of recommendations. Give every child the best start in life, education and lifelong learning. The third was employment and working conditions. The fourth was everyone having at least the minimum income necessary for a healthy life. 
The fifth was healthy and sustainable places in which to live and work. And the sixth was the cause of the causes, addressing the social determinants of smoking, drinking, diet, exercise, and so on. Well, that in a sense is an answer to people who say inequalities are so complex, we don't know where to start. And I say, here you are, this is where you start, six domains. And I've given you recommendations in each of those six domains. But commonly I get asked, well, what's the number one priority? What's the one thing we should be doing? Well, it's not one thing. If I said, thought there was only one thing, I would have made one recommendation. I made six. And so for a government to say, right, population, this is what we're going to do. We're going to boom, 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 boom. Sounds all a bit complicated. It's not, you can't get on television in one soundbite and, and say it. And then you might have other priorities um, as a government, which actually go against those. So getting it on the agenda is not straightforward. But for example, in Britain, where, as I pointed out in my review, the Marmot Review 10 years on, which I published in February 2020. Although the national government had pretty well ignored the evidence on social determinants of health in that decade, local government had taken it up and they decided it wasn't too complicated for them. And we had example of cities around England and also in Scotland and Wales where they were very enthusiastic about this. They said, yeah, we can do that. We can embrace all six of your domains of recommendations. Wow, thank you so much for that. I mean, it ties quite nicely into my last question, even though I feel like you have started to answer it. Um, and it is quite a big question. Uh, it's probably one that many of us as global health scholars will spend our lives trying to find solutions to in our research and our work. But how, how do we go about uh, addressing the social determinants of health when most of them people would arguably say are considered as structural issues or they exist at the intersection of several structural issues? Well, what I said in my December 2020 report, Build Back Fairer, the COVID-19 Marmot Review, put equity of health and well-being at the heart of all government policy. And we can help you in how to do that. We've compiled the evidence. So starting at the beginning of life, we said, I'm talking about the UK at the moment, but you could have the same conversation in any country. Um, we said in the UK, if you look at child poverty, depending how it's measured, between 20 and 25% of children in the UK growing up in child poverty, defined as living in a household at less than 60% median income. Child poverty levels in Denmark, Finland, South Korea are 10 or 11%. And so we said, number one, reduce child poverty to 10%. And that can be done 
through the tax and benefit system. The tax and benefit system were used in the decade from 2010, were used to increase child poverty. That's what they did. Well, you could use that system to reduce it, but you've got to want to do it as a government. You've got to set that as an important goal. Now, we in the health space can argue, not through some abstract notion of redistribution or equity of resources, important as that might be, we coming from health can argue for reducing child poverty because child poverty is damaging health. So we argue it from a health point of view. We want give every child the best start in life because that relates not just to the health of children, but to the health of those children through the life course as they grow, live and work and age. So it's a health-based argument, a health equity-based argument to reduce child poverty and so on through all of our recommendations. And we say, uh, what are you in government to do? Now, if you're in government to be famous or to line your own pocket or um, for power, whatever, okay, yeah, all of that's true. But surely part of the reason you're in government is to improve things for the population. And we can show you how to do that. Perfect. Um, thank you for the insights on those topics. And now I want to focus more on the pandemic. And um, you've really mentioned the causes of the cause and how poverty is sometimes interlinked with poor nutrition. And as we're seeing with the free school meal debacle in the current times, how far do you think the pandemic has surfaced the need to address the social determinants of health? How far has it put it on the agenda? Um, whether it's, I think you talked about local governments and councils actually being excited and actually going towards that approach in relative to uh, senior government. I said at the beginning of the pandemic that it would expose the underlying inequalities in society and amplify them. And that's been true in at least two ways that I can point to. The first is if you look at the socioeconomic gradient in mortality from COVID-19, in other words, look at level of deprivation of the area where people live, and you see a social gradient in mortality from COVID-19. That's remarkably similar to the social gradient in mortality from all, all causes. In other words, the causes of inequalities in health more generally are strongly linked as causes of inequalities in COVID-19. In addition with COVID-19, there's employment in frontline occupations, which tends to be more frequent in more deprived areas and living in overcrowded, perhaps multi-generational households that put poorer people at higher risk. But so, and then the second kind of health inequality that COVID-19 has exaggerated, amplified, is um, the high mortality in black 
Asian and minority ethnic groups. And particularly for Black British and Black Caribbean, you see this high mortality from COVID-19, three times the mortality rate, much of which can be explained by deprivation and socioeconomic characteristics. So it's not racial, it's socioeconomic. Um, it's due to social circumstances. So both types of inequalities, socioeconomic and the ethnic differences have been exaggerated by the pandemic. And then of course, lockdown and the societal response to the pandemic has made inequalities worse. In general, the lower the income, the greater the likelihood of either having to go out to work in frontline occupations or being in a sector that's been shut down, like hospitality, uh, retail. Whereas the higher the income, the more likely you are to be in an occupation where you could work from home. Um, so you still keep your job. You're not exposed to the virus by going out to work and your income doesn't go down and your wealth may well increase because you're not spending money on hospitality and football matches or theater or foreign holidays. Um, so we're seeing the effect of the pandemic is redistribution of income and wealth upwards, not downwards. Poorer people getting poorer and richer people getting richer. And as we emerge from the pandemic, then, and things like the furlough scheme stop, then we'll see this buildup of unemployment and increased economic inequalities, which is why I called my December report, December 2020 report, build back fairer. Don't reestablish the status quo pre-pandemic, because that wasn't great. Build back, but in a fairer way, so we can reduce inequalities in health. Exactly. And I think you moving on and going further and uh, looking at the social determinants of health, I think many people argue that there's a lot of them. So it's, it, it isn't easy to address all of them. In terms of the current pandemic, what would you say is the most important to address? I, I mean, you mentioned it to beauty that it has exposed a lot of social, um, social determinants of health issues, but what is the most important one to address, the one that would have the most impact on the largest population? They're interrelated, and the most important is to do, I highlighted the first five of my six, to do them all. Um, early child development, I'm not going to wait and do something else first. Um, that's key. Education, we can see the educational divide is increasing because the effect of school closures is much bigger detrimental effect in poorer kids than in richer kids. Um, so we can see the widening of the educational divide. Employment, absolutely vital, making employment safer for people who have to go to work in potentially unsafe occupations and making sure there are jobs to go back to. 
um, having enough money. If we want people who've been in contact with an affected person to isolate, if they're going to lose work as a result, we should pay them. Uh, healthy and sustainable communities, uh, making it safe to move around when we no longer have lockdown. So I wouldn't do one. I would actually do all five at the same time. And why not? Because it's not as if government, you know, they, there are lots of government departments. They're not going to down tools in the Ministry of Finance, in the Treasury, and say, we're not going to do any more because we've got to make sure children's centres are open and we're putting money and investment into preschool. So we need, through the life course, we need these interventions at the same time. Perfect. In terms of having actually read the Build Back Better report with the Health Foundation. Build Back Fairer. Fairer, sorry. Fairer. Yeah. There is an emphasis on focusing on well-being and how some nations such as New Zealand have placed a heavy importance on putting equity of health and well-being at the heart of all policy making. Do you think it's possible with our current government? I mean, it could be possible with our local councils, because uh, I've seen firsthand how some councils are doing that. Do you think it's possible with our current uh, full-scale government approach? Well... Divide that in notice I side. Um, is it possible? Of course it's possible. Will they do it? Probably not. Um, so, but it's possible. And the more of us that try and influence them to do it, the greater the likelihood that they will. Uh, on present form, it's not terribly likely. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be encouraging government to do what's good for the health and well-being of the population. Exactly. I think yeah, you made a really important point of there is a difference between actually being able to do it and willing to do it. And um, in terms of actual local uh, councils and uh, constituents that are doing it, um, how would you, what tips would you give them in terms of securing funding? Because as you know, grassroots organizations and researchers require funding to be able to actually address and tackle some of the social determinants of health? Yeah, I mean, they need to be advocates. We've, we're doing work with Greater Manchester and the mayor of Greater Manchester has been a strong advocate. Now you might say, well, did he get any money out of the treasury? Um, maybe, maybe not, but it doesn't mean he shouldn't be trying. And it doesn't mean, for example, that local governments shouldn't be together making the case for what's needed. And the point that the mayor of Greater Manchester made is if you want people to stay at home and lose work, you should pay them the money that they would have earned in the workplace so they can afford to do the right thing. Nicely put, exactly. It's all about, especially that argument where people are being in lockdown with poor sick pay, with poor, um, poor universal credit. So of course you have to address and make sure that they can afford to um, live and rent and actually take their children to school. 
So I think, and also you really mentioned a life course approach. Um, and how do you think, do you think that is feasible? And I mean, there is research on that, how the earlier that you begin this addressing of the social determinants of health, the better impact you can have for a population. Well, it's entirely feasible. Um, in, in England, the government took the decision to reduce funding to local government and to do it in a regressive way, the more deprived the area, the bigger the reduction in funding. And 1,000 sure start children's centers closed over the decade. Well, I've argued we need to spend some money. And one area I'd spend it would be making sure there are good services for preschool children. And related to the issue of, well, but we've got economic problems. Can we afford to spend? And my answer is we can't afford not to. One of the lessons from the austerity after the global financial crisis, and it's not, not a new lesson, it's one we should have known, that when the economy is depressed, you don't cut spending, that's the time to spend. And the government said, oh, the economy's in trouble, we must cut spending. And that, of course, made things worse. It deepened the depression of the economy. And we had a very slow recovery in Britain, um, particularly salaries of employed people, very slow to recover, in part because the government looked at a depressed economy and said, we're going to depress it more. They didn't say that. They said, we're going to cut spending and that's the way to grow the economy. But it turns out not to be true. It didn't. So first is the fact that the economy is depressed because of lockdown and the pandemic. That's not a reason to cut spending. That's a reason to spend. And then well, where's the money going to come from? Well, lots of places. The government can borrow. Interest rates are zero or even negative. Negative. Paying the government to the banks uh, to keep your money for you. Paying them. So it's cheap to get money. Secondly, the government can print money. Um, it did that after the global financial crisis, it was called quantitative easing, and it was done to bail out the banks. Uh, well, quantitative easing, they could print money uh, for spending on improving early child development. So they can borrow money, they can print money, and they could tax. We've got very low rates of tax, and it's not a very progressive uh, income tax, um, they could raise more money through taxation. So the government can spend money if it's minded to. And I've got some good ideas about what they could spend it on. And it's all laid out in my report. In terms of spending, I think just wanted to focus on that question. In terms of spending, how do we avoid the idea of spending on health care uh, spending on health facilities instead of actually spending on health and addressing social determinants of health and addressing health inequalities because the government can increase spending on health 
and healthcare, but that would not equate to spending on health and addressing the social determinants of health. Read my report. That's how we can avoid it. Read Build Back Fairer. Perfect. And I think my last question would be, um, looking at the Marmot Review 10 years on in February, um, and now there's a lot of change. Um, do you, did you ever see the pandemic having such a great impact uh, looking back on your work in terms of the recommendations that you gave back in February? Um, do you think it's shifted it? I mean, it has shifted it to a whole different extent, but did you see that when the pandemic started? Nope. Um, when we did the report in February, the, um, you know, we've been working on it for months, obviously. And at the end of 2019, we didn't know about COVID-19 when we were writing the report. And by the time we published it, we did know about COVID-19. Um, but I remember hearing when Italy locked down in Northern Italy and thought, wow, that's amazing. I can't imagine that will ever happen in Britain. And one month later, it happened. Um, so uh, no, I didn't predict it. Uh, I did say at the beginning, once we realized what was happening, as I said a few moments ago, that it would expose the underlying inequalities in society and amplify them. So once we saw it happening, it was easy enough to predict the inequality impact. But back in January, when we were putting the final touches on our report, it was maybe January the 20th or 19th or something when the Lancet published papers from China. Um, it was, we were just finding out that there was this virus, but we'd known, you know, SARS happened, uh, Ebola happened, Middle East respiratory syndrome, uh, respiratory syndrome happened, and they didn't have the kind of global effect that COVID-19 uh, had. So no, I didn't predict it, but I did once it came, uh, predict that we had even more necessity to address social determinants and health inequalities, which is why only 10 months after doing the 10 month, the 10 year on review, we produced the COVID-19 Marmot Review, Build Back Fairer. Thank you very much for giving us such important insights into how we can actually approach the social determinants of health and the importance of the social determinants of health and what it means to actually frame something as a social determinants of health and approaching it in this way. Um, as students, we've, I mean, I've just finished my master's and I'm interested in the social determinants of health and looking at, um, looking at health system performance uh, in a global scale. So I'm really thankful for giving us this opportunity uh, to sit down with you and actually discuss this and uh, thank you so much now yeah, thank you so much sir um so mama yeah uh this has been absolutely fantastic similar to Mohammed, i just finished my global health and development masters and i'm very interested in how the social determinants of health affect mental health issues um 
particularly in marginalized communities. So this has just been fantastic. And I remember I missed your lecture or that you gave on social determinants of health because I was ill. So <laughs> this has just made up for it in the best possible way ever. Thank you so much for it. Um, yeah, and next our next podcast, we aim to focus on the political determinants of health. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Mr. Marlott. My thank pleasure. You. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye.